Good morning, and thanks for choosing to spend some time with me. I'm going to show you the beauty of solidarity today. When one person who has power chooses to set aside his privilege to be with those who are in distress, that's solidarity. When he stands beside another to support and strengthen him for the challenges that he faces, joining with him in the storm. The story of Jesus, and especially the Incarnation, is a story of solidarity. Jesus was equal with God, but he chose to lay aside his power in order to be with us in our need, to walk with us on the same paths that we walk on, to strengthen the weak and liberate the oppressed. Jesus practiced solidarity in order to set the prisoners free, and now God calls every person who has been freed to practice solidarity with all who are in need in our own time. This is what matters to God, that we practice the same kind of compassionate presence with others that he achieved for us in Christ. It's easy for religious people to get this wrong and behave as if God cares more about other things. Isaiah was a prophet at a time when God's people had forgotten to practice solidarity with the needy. Instead of caring for those who were struggling, as God wanted, they focused all of their attention on their worship together. In the opening chapter of his book, Isaiah asks a question from God to the people. This is verse 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. When the people come to the temple, they bring their offerings. They give when they gather for worship, careful to fulfill their religious obligations. But then God asks, does all of this matter to me like you think it does? Listen to God's answer. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this from your hand? You bring me the animals that are the most important to you, willing to lay them down for me. You think that this is what I want more than anything else, but you're wrong. Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation, I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. You think that I'm pleased with your religion, your prayers and your songs, your rituals and sacred rites, but none of them matter like you think they do to me. Your solemn assemblies are like a charade, like a costume party, only you can't hide what's really beneath your religious disguises. You appear holy, but none of it covers up your iniquity, and that ruins everything. This word, iniquity, it means unjust. Unfair in favor of those who have power at the expense of those who are weak. The root word in Hebrew means twisted or crooked. Behavior that is intentionally deceitful and manipulative, unjust and disguised. 
But here God tells his people that no matter how many gifts you bring, you can't fool God. Your faithfulness in the temple, God says, cannot hide your failure out in the world. Solidarity with those who are in distress matters more to God than our religious observances. In verse 14, God becomes very pointed. Your new moons and your appointed festivals, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. When we close our ears to those who are in need, God closes his ears to us. And though we may argue our innocence when we keep our distance from the oppressed, their blood is on our hands. That's how it works with God. The power and strength that he has given to his people, that he's given to you, is meant to be used on behalf of those who have no power and no strength. When we fail to practice solidarity, no matter how grand and sacrificial our worship is, to God it will seem ugly. Unfortunately, history is full of examples of God's people getting this wrong. But there have been notable exceptions. When God's people get it right and set aside their privilege to be with those who are in need because they know that this is what matters to God most. When that happens, it's beautiful. This is Oscar Romero, the Archbishop of the Church of San Salvador. In 1977, he was appointed to the highest position of authority in the church, but instead of using his power for himself, he consistently remained in solidarity with the most vulnerable. He used his strength to help others, even though it would eventually cost him his life. Romero was born in the summer of 1917. Like most children in El Salvador, he finished public school after the third grade, and then his father trained him as a carpenter, and he was good. But his heart wasn't in building. He wanted to enter the priesthood which he did at age 13. He studied first in San Miguel and then in San Salvador and finally in Rome where he received his doctorate. He was diligent, bright, and faithful. And so he rose from positions of prominence to even greater prominence, but increased power didn't have the effect on him that it seems to have on so many. At each step, Romero remained humble and connected to those who were in the lowest positions socially, like Jesus did. Shortly after he became archbishop, Romero had an experience that cemented the focus of his leadership. One of his best friends, who was a Jesuit priest, had dedicated his ministry to creating self-reliance groups among the poor a mission which made him unpopular with the government. In March of 1977, he was assassinated. Romero saw it happen. 
The sight of his friend's body changed him. Here was a servant of Christ who was murdered for standing with the poor. I have to walk the same path, Romero would later say, no matter what it means. He would practice solidarity with the powerless because this is the will of God for all who have power in this world that we find ourselves in. Two years later, a military coup was launched. A new government was installed with the promise of sweeping change, reforms that would lead to the redistribution of wealth and the end of human rights violations. It all sounded good in theory, but there was one problem. The wealthy landowners of El Salvador opposed the changes because they were bad for business. Those who had the power didn't want to share it. Paramilitary groups were organized, and anyone who resisted had to face the death squads that became a fixture of the new revolutionary government junta. Within one month of the coup, over a hundred civilians had been killed. Anyone who spoke up on behalf of the oppressed was in danger, including members of the Catholic Church, who, like Romero, had chosen to defend the poor because they believed that's what God wanted. In an address at the Catholic University in Belgium, Romero pointed out that not every priest or church was threatened. It was only those who put themselves on the side of the people and went to the defense of the poor and the oppressed. Solidarity with the needy meant real danger and suffering, but this is the path that all who are faithful to Christ are bound to walk letting go of their power to lift others, just like Christ did. Whenever someone uses the power he has, whether great or small, to be with the poor and the oppressed to help, it is beautiful. And God uses that kind of beauty to change the world. If we come back to Isaiah we'll find three simple imperatives that capture what God's people are responsible for, what we are responsible for. These three are what God is saying to all of us right now. The first imperative is cease. Wash yourselves Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. If we are going to be beautiful in solidarity, we have to put an end to our evil deeds. Where we've gotten our hands dirty, we'll have to come to God and let him cleanse us abandoning those patterns of life which are wrong for a person who is right with God. The first step on the path toward practicing solidarity is to stop doing what is wrong. You've got to be the same person you pretend to be on Sunday for the other six days too. In Isaiah's time, it wasn't hard to find religious people who were pretending. Picture a merchant in the marketplace a customer approaches and asks for one measure of flour. On one side of the balance, the merchant places his weight, and on the other, he measures out the flour 
He takes the money and the customer leaves, but all the while the merchant knows that the weight he's used is marked falsely. It really only weighs three quarters of a measure, but the customer will never know. He does this all week long, and then on the Sabbath day, that merchant brings his offering to the temple to honor God. He prays and sings just like everybody else, but back in the market tomorrow, it'll be the same routine. Or imagine a local court of law where the judge waits to pass judgment until he sees whether either side has a gift to give him, something to help him make the right choice. This is the evil that God demands his people cease because the sacrifice which matters most to our God is not in the temple. It's in the marketplace and at the courthouse. It's in the office that you go to and your school, and it's in your home. This is where God wants his people to sacrifice, to give up any benefit that might come to them for doing what is wrong, for practicing injustice. Right now, ask yourself, where am I using my power to help myself in a way that harms others? Whatever you see, don't hide it anymore. Remove it. Cease doing evil. The world needs people who are ready to choose not to do what is wrong, even when they could get away with it. That's the first imperative. Cease. The second is learn. Look at how verse 17 begins. Learn to do good. Knowing the right thing to do is not always easy, especially in a world that is as complicated as ours is. Beneath every problem, a set of circumstances that's more complex than can be captured in a headline, a slogan, or a tweet, which is why God directs his people to learn. If the right thing is unclear to you, work at figuring it out. Solidarity requires study so you can take responsibility for the good that needs to be done in a smart and informed way. Now, if you obey this imperative, you'll discover how deep our problems are. And you'll find yourself thinking, the world is too messed up. And you'll be tempted to just throw in the towel and give up, but you shouldn't. Listen to this wisdom. It is not our part to master all the tides of the world, but to do what is in us for the assistance and support of those years wherein we are set, uprooting the evil in the fields that we know, so that those who live after may have clean earth to till. That's wisdom from the wizard Gandalf, spoken to a discouraged and severely diminished group of fighters who are feeling hopeless because of their losses, intimidated by the strength of their enemy, which seems too great for them to face. Now, it's taken a lot of restraint for me to preach four years without a single Lord of the Rings reference. But here, the perspective offered 
is perfect for where we are today. Everything that is wrong in our world will feel like an ocean of trouble. But it is not up to us to stop the tide. No one can manage that. Our responsibility is to look carefully at the fields we do know, the ones that God has set us in, and there to do what we can to uproot the evil that is growing in the little patch of land where we find ourselves, to assist and help where we can. Even if it doesn't make an immediate difference, at least it will change things for the people who follow after us. And that's enough. Can you solve the problems of poverty? No. But you can support a runner from Renaissance Church who will be running this weekend. $50 provides water for life for one person in Africa. That's something good that you can do. Can you hold back the rising tide of anxiety and depression in our country? No. But you can find one person who's struggling with loneliness and learn some practical steps that can help that person. You can be light right there with them in their darkness. That's something good that you can do. Can you heal the political divisions that are making a mess of your family right now? Obviously not. But you can work at listening and understanding and then take one step forward toward doing good in the way that God wants you to. We can all practice solidarity when we've worked at learning to do good. That's second. And now listen to the third imperative. It is to seek. Seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. The oppressed, the orphan, the widow, these are the three most vulnerable people in Isaiah's day. These are the ones who are trapped and cannot get out unless someone comes to the rescue. The ones who are being attacked but don't have the strength to defend themselves. Those who have no voice to speak up on their own behalf. Unless someone who has some strength to spare decides to practice solidarity, they're done. And here we learn that God wants his people to seek justice, to look for ways to use their power for those who have none, to come down and lend a hand, to set aside their privilege and help. Whenever you can identify someone who is the victim of injustice in the field that God has given you to be at work in, it's your responsibility to seek justice for them. That is is where God is calling you to practice solidarity and offer the sacrifice that really matters to him. Cease doing evil. Learn to do good and seek justice. If you are obedient to these three imperatives, there are two outcomes that you should expect. The first is that God will use you to change the little plot of land where he's placed you. And that will be beautiful for you and the world. When God's people practice 
solidarity. God does beautiful things, and you should trust and expect that. The second is that you should be ready for real resistance. Practicing solidarity in obedience to God can get you into trouble because the fields that God sends us to work in are still riddled with all kinds of thorns. And just as the world was hostile to Jesus, it will resist all who seek to use their power for others. When Oscar Romero saw his friend assassinated, he knew that if he fought for the poor, he might face the same ending. If he used his power to help the oppressed, if he spoke up for those who had no voice, he would be putting himself in harm's way. But the alternative to remain silent was unacceptable to him because he knew the call of God to everyone who has power to practice solidarity no matter what it cost you. On March 23, 1980, Romero offered a homily in which he spoke out directly against the death squads. He knew that there would be soldiers listening to him preach who had worked for the junta and who had received orders to kill anyone who resisted the new government's policies, which were devastating to the farmers and the peasants who were struggling for basic human rights. And in his sermon, he told those soldiers to obey God and not their commanding officers. It is better to disobey an unrighteous command, no matter what the consequences, than to disobey God, who is always righteous in what he commands. Do not use your power to threaten the weak any longer, he told them. The very next day, he was with a group celebrating the anniversary of the assassination of the mother of a prominent newspaper editor, Doña Sarita, She'd been murdered because her son refused to print government propaganda. Romero told his listeners that they should view the terror that was unfolding all around them with a spirit of hope, with generosity and with a willingness to sacrifice even still. We should all do what we can to make the world a better place, he said, just as Sarita had done. Listen to what he said of her. Even after death, she speaks to us a message from eternity, telling us that our work is worthwhile. If we illuminate with Christian hope our intense longings for justice and peace and all that is good, then we can be sure that no one dies forever. If we have imbued our work with a sense of great faith, love of God, and hope for humanity, then all our endeavors will lead to the splendid crown that is the sure reward for the work of sowing truth, justice, love, and goodness on earth. After this, he offered communion, and he prayed that God would nourish all who were present, so that each and every one could give his body and his blood if need be, not for her own sake, but to bring justice and peace to the people of El Salvador. And then just as he asked that gathering to join him in prayer, a gunman burst into the chapel and shot Romero right through the heart. He died there, 
surrounded by stunned worshipers. Evil believes that it can stop what is good through violence, but it is always wrong. A funeral was held six days later at the Metropolitan Cathedral of San Salvador, and more than 250,000 mourners from all over the world were in attendance. A Jesuit priest would later write that the gathering was the largest demonstration in Salvadorian history. Some say in the history of Latin America, a demonstration that proclaimed that good will always win out over evil and that no one who gives his life for others dies forever. Don't you think our world needs to be reminded of that truth? You need to be reminded that every bit of power you have been given by God has been given for others. And now each and every one of us who follow Christ should aspire to the unique beauty of practicing solidarity with those who are in need wherever we find them in the world that we inhabit. Keep your eyes open in the fields where God has placed you and do what you can. And then you will be beautiful in the way that our world right now needs beautiful. Then your life will show the gospel. Let's lift our voices now to the one who is the God who practices solidarity with us. God, we thank you that in Christ, you decided to leave your divine majesty and become one of us so that you could walk with us, a true man on the same roads that we walk on. And in that way, you could show us what it is to be God, the one who is with those who are oppressed and needy and suffering in order to lift up everyone who is brought low. God, we thank you that because of your grace, you chose to do that for each and every one of us. And with hearts of gratitude, we accept your offering of yourself in Christ. God, make us new as we receive that gift yet again. And then I pray that you would inspire every one of us through each and every person who, like Oscar Romero, practices solidarity, to become people who are with those who are in need wherever we find them so that we can be your instruments of renewal. Our world needs that, God. We know it. Use us in whatever way we can be used. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>